Good to see you this morning. Today we're going to go into our part four on our series that is all in Him. This will conclude that series uh, this morning. But before we get started, could we just join together and just pray and ask the Lord to touch us this morning and just help us to receive what He has? Can we do that? Lord, I love you and I thank you for your goodness and mercy. Lord, I'm asking that you would sit down in this room this morning, that you would anoint my lips, that what I speak would be your words, not mine. I'm asking God that you would touch us, that you would prepare our hearts. And everybody said in Jesus' name, amen. Now, we're going to kind of do, maybe a, maybe it's, it may feel like we're backing up and doing a doing kind of a recap here. Um across what was said a couple of weeks ago by Brother Sean in Lesson 3, and he did an outstanding job um, bringing, bringing that lesson. But we start in chapter number 4, and we right out of the gate it says, Masters, give unto your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that ye also have a master in heaven. Now, we're getting ready to wrap this up. And when you're reading this, what is being said in chapter 4 sounds really a whole lot like what needs to be in chapter 3. Because when you get into chapter 3, you get into servants, you need to obey those that you're serving. You need to, you, you, you need to uh, children, you need to obey your parents. Wives, you need to submit yourselves unto your husbands. And husbands, you need to love your wives. You, you need to keep in mind here... Paul was writing a letter, not a book. So folks come along and they think, well, I think chapter one needs to be right here. And they, okay, that's the end of chapter one. We're going to start with chapter two. Paul was just writing a letter and sending out a parchment, trying to encourage and admonish the church. And he's getting ready to wrap, wrap everything up. So right in the middle of chapter four, right out of the gate, he, he's talking and concluding some remarks that he made in chapter 3 when he's telling them, Masters, give unto your servants that which, which belongs to them, that which they have earned. But then he skips down and he goes in, in, in chapter 4 and verse 2. It says, watch and pray. The full portion of that says, continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. He's saying, watch and pray. Paul's reaching back to an Old Testament principle that you find in the book of Nehemiah. You see, in Nehemiah um, chapter 4, verse 9, Nehemiah said, Nevertheless, we made our prayer unto our God and set a watch against them day and night because of them. You go back into the story of Nehemiah, you'll find that he's rebuilding the walls. He's rebuilding the walls around Jerusalem. And his enemies came in, and they began to threaten the progress of the work. And Nehemiah's response to that was, watch and pray, and we're going to set a watch. Now, I love the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is a cool book. And Paul is admonishing the church to go back to a principle that was established. We're talking about in our city taking the church outside of these walls. 
studying the history of Nehemiah, the temple was intact. Nehemiah was built rebuilding walls. He had brought, he, he was taking the church outside of the tabernacle. Now we're going to repair our community. We're going to work in our city. We're going to begin to rebuild some things. And he told the people, he said, you need to be vigilant. You need to watch and you need to pray. Because you're going to encounter some things that you need to be led by the Spirit on. When that comes down to our lives, we're trying to take the church outside of these four walls. And I need to watch and pray. Because I don't want an opportunity to reach somebody to slip me by. And I want to make sure that I say the right thing at the right time. That I have the correct response. Because when that knucklehead is driving you crazy and you want to hit the nuclear button. Any of you guys have a nuclear button? We have one at our house. There have been a few times if you looked over toward Ranch Road and you saw a mushroom cloud hanging in the air, I take full responsibility for it. I pushed the button. But you got to be careful when you push the button because you're told to love your wife, told to love your family. You're told to be a good worker. It says servant. Well, guess what, honey? When you punch in on the time clock... You're working. You have given them your time for the day. You are a servant to whatever company is over the sign is over the door that you clocked into. I have to be careful in my responses. I have to be careful in my actions because I'm trying to reach my world. I think it's worth noting that when Nehemiah is writing this, he also says, and set a watch against them day and night. When you look at that, Nehemiah told the watchman that was on the wall, he said, listen, I'm going to set two principles in order, or two positions in order. We're going to have a watchman, he's going to be on the wall, and we're going to have a gatekeeper. If you study studying out Nehemiah, he says, you don't open the gates until the sun be hot, and until you hear from the watchman on the wall if it's safe to open the gates. Now, we're, we're, we're talking about being prayerful and, and, and watching, but understand this too. The watchman's role, that's the role of the pastor. He's on the wall. He's looking out. He's, he's observing. The gatekeeper is me. Because he can send out a warning and say, hey, don't open that. You, you need to be mindful of this. You need to be careful in this area but I'm the one who's in control of what I allow to come into my life and to flow out of my life. I'm the gatekeeper. I think it's interesting to note when I was studying this out, it said that the gatekeeper, there were certain people who dwelt close to the gate. Their tents were there. The whole premise of that was if the, if the, if the gatekeeper was being overwhelmed because he opened the door at the inopportune time, there were men who their whole purpose was to run to help secure the gate. I'm going to jump out on a tangent here and I'm going to say this. Ladies and gentlemen, we have to have people in our lives that are good, godly influences that can help you manage the gate. Because if I'm left to my own ability, pastor can preach 
and he can, he can give a clear warning. He can put out a clear sound. But there are times, if I'm not careful, I'm still flesh. I think sometimes we, we look at this, that we have this all figured out. Understand this. Throughout Paul's writings, he's not writing to people that are not in the church. He's writing and admonishing and exhorting and warning and trying to help people that are in the church. You need to have somebody in your life, and I've said this a lot, but you need to have people that hold you accountable, that can help you close the door on some stuff. Somebody that you can call up when you're struggling and say, hey, I am having an issue. I need you to help me pray. I need good godly counsel in this area. You're the gatekeeper. I'm going to jump off that. You can can take it from there. Psalms 141 and 2 says, Let my prayers be set forth before thee as incense, and the lifting up of my hands as as the evening sacrifice. Real prayer is going to demand focus and energy. If there's no fire on the altar, there's no incense that's going to rise. Going back to the Old Testament, the Lord sent out a fire that kindled the flame that was on the tabernacle, on the altar of that first tabernacle. But it was up to the priest to maintain it. When you're full of the Holy Ghost and God blesses you with that spiritual fire, if you will, it's up to you and I to maintain what has been placed in us. And that's where Paul is admonishing them, you've got to pray. You've got to put some effort in prayer. You've got to put some energy into praying. You've got to make sure that you're taking care of this because just as incense was offered and it came up as a a sweet-smelling savor before the Lord, our bodies are to be a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which Scripture says is our reasonable service. There has to be something that burns so that when I'm praising and I'm going through my life, there should be something that pleases God in everything that I do. Going on in in the conclusion of his letter in chapter 4 and verse number 3, Paul, it seems like right here he's just kind of, Touching, he's giving you the scatter effect. I'm going to try to put as much out here for you as I can because I'm, I'm wrapping things up. I've got a short amount of time. And he says this, uh, With all praying also for us that God would open unto us the door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in bonds. He's asking them to be praying. He's asking them to reach for him so that God would open a door. Not to free him from prison. Not that his chains would be loosed, but that God would open a door in an avenue so that he could minister in his current situation. How many times is my approach, God? Take it away. Make it go away. I don't want to deal with what I'm dealing with right now. 
I feel like I am bound in this area. I feel like I am uh, life has, has tied me up and chained me up. And if you will just loose the situation I'm in, then I'm going to be profitable for you for the kingdom. And have you ever played deal or no deal with God? God, if you just will, I will. If you'll, if you'll just work this out with me, then I'm going <laughs> to, you just wait. I'm going to set the earth on fire if you'll just get me out of this. Bless me with millions of dollars, God, and I will be the most faithful servant that has ever walked the earth. I see you guys are laughing. Y'all don't don't do that, but I'll be honest. Come by here, Lord. Pass by here. uh, If you'll just move, God. Paul doesn't ask for that. He said, I want you to pray that a door opens not for my current situation, but spiritually so that I can minister and I can reach somebody in my current state. Ladies and gentlemen, the job of the church, my job, your job, yeah, I want to be blessed. I want the blessings of God flowing in my life. If he wants to bless me with with that million dollars, I'm I'm all open to it, God. But my primary purpose right now is, God, open a door in my everyday life, on my job, in my my running arounds, in my comings, in my goings, wherever I'm at. Open a door so that I can step in and operate and minister to a life where I'm at right now. Paul said, I just need a door to open so that I can enter in in ministry and I can begin to touch lives. Acts chapter 14 and verse 27 says, And when they were come and gathered the church together, they rehearsed all that God had done with them and how that he had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. Scripture talks many times of an open door. Paul said there is a great door and effectual that is opened unto me, and there are many adversaries. Well, wait, I, th- I, I wanted an open door. I didn't want the adversary part. That's my thinking, God, open a door, blessing. Paul's not talking about that. Paul said there was set a door before me that I could walk in and I could minister in and I could reach people in. But when I walked through that door, there were things that become against me and opposed me and spiritual things that I have to face and I have to fight. But understand this, if God opens the door, I'm supposed to walk through it. Chapter 4 and verse number 5 says to walk in wisdom toward them that are without redeeming the time. I want to focus on that phrase, redeeming the time. In the Greek, that, that phrase literally means season of opportunity. We need a season of opportunity to open We sing that a lot where he leads, you know, that old song, where he leads me, I will follow. If you can use anything, Lord, you can use me. 
But oh, by the way, God, pump a little blessing my way too while you're, while you're opening that door, please. I think many times when we get everything right in following what God wants, the blessing is a direct proportion to obedience. Abraham, I want you to take your son, your only son, and I want you to offer him as a burnt sacrifice. Why in the world would God give that command to Abraham? You've promised me a son. You've told me I was going to have a son. You've blessed me with a son. And now you're asking me to go offer him as a burnt offering? What in the world is going on here? God wanted to make sure with Abraham that he was about the blesser and not the blessing. Many, 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 many times I'm about the blessing and not the blesser. You want to know why God opened a door for Jacob and he closed one for his brother? Because Esau wanted the birthright but he, or the blessing, but he did not want the birthright. And they were intertwined. Because if you go after the blesser, you will inherit the blessing. Paul, and I'm taking some time here, but I want you to grasp this. Paul is not saying, God, I want you to bless me abundantly. I want you to break my chains. I want you to change my situation. I want you to bring me out. No, 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 no. He's saying, I need a door to open up. It's going to open up through prayer. It's gonna, I, I, I need to keep my eyes open, and I need a door to be open, and I need sensitivity to walk through it. Because I'm not about the blesser. I'll minister in chains. I just need a door to open. He goes on to tell them in verse 6, Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how to answer every man. I was told a while back, and it's true, for you coffee drinkers. And if you have a brand of coffee that is particularly bitter when you brew it, that if you'll sprinkle a little bit of salt on the grounds, that it will take that bitter taste out of your coffee. That is true. It does work. But I'm going to tell you something. A little bit of salt goes a long way. I'm telling you this from personal experience. All right? You get the right amount of salt in there, and, and you, can, you can make a cup of coffee, something special, even if you've got nasty grounds that are bitter. Salt is a symbol of purity. In Leviticus chapter 2 and verse 13, Paul, when he's writing, or excuse me, in the, in the Levitical law, Leviticus 2 and 13, in every oblation and every meat offering, you're going to season it with salt. Neither shall thou suffer the salt of the covenant of thy God to be lacking from any meat offering. For all thine offerings shalt thou offer with salt. Paul said everything that you say needs to be salt because it brings season. 
when you're talking to people, when you're interacting with people. The reality is, ladies and gentlemen, there are some people I'm going to get one shot at. And many, 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 many times that door opens when I'm having my bad day. When I don't feel like hearing your problem because I got my own problems. I don't want to deal with you right now. Is this okay? Is it, can, I, can I just be real? Can I be honest? We're all waiting for the perfect opportunity when God beams down the light and the person's standing there and they're saying, what must I do? Well, I'm glad you asked. Let me just enlighten you with something. No. Real doors open on everyday life. And many times they come in the midst of my frustration, when I'm tired, when I've worked hard. And he's saying, you, you, you got to be salt in every situation. You got to be the seasoning that they need. You got to be that word of encouragement for that individual when you're grasping and looking for, God, how are you going to do this in my life? Ephesians 4 and verse 29 says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. There's a lot to be said for how we speak. Church is called to be salt and light. Paul says you need to make sure you, what you say is seasoned. You make sure what comes out of you sets well on the palate of who you're talking to. So Paul's kind of just, we're talking about it's all in him, right? We've, we've gone over that for four weeks. Understand this. Scripture says that we're his body. We are his hands and his feet. And what Paul is trying to write, I feel, what I took away from this lesson, is you need to pray that doors open so that the body can begin to minister. You're the body. And therefore, as I'm ministering, I've got to make sure that I'm watching and praying so that when that time comes, what I say is salt and not vinegar. And then, as Paul begins to wrap up everything, he begins to, as, as, as he often does in his letters, he begins to write and he begins to tell you of those that are laboring with him. And in this particular epistle, as he's closing it out, he mentions four men. He mentions more than this, but the, the four that I want to draw your attention to were four men who stayed. He mentions a man by the name of I don't even know how to pronounce that name. I've gone back. Thank you. I'm going to call him Joe. (laughs) 
Can you give me uh, verses 10 and 11, please? Yeah, that one right there is the one I want to focus on first. That's Joe, for those of you that don't know. You're more versed in Greek than I am. I'm glad you are. You can be salt salt to somebody else right now. That's Joe. My fellow prisoner, salute you. And Mark. But that first name, he calls him my fellow prisoner. Says he stayed in spite of trouble. Paul said, I'm trying to get a work off the ground. I'm trying to do the work of the Lord. And I find myself a prisoner. And here is a man who was willing to stay and be a fellow prisoner with me when I was needing it the most. I won't talk, I won't talk about the body for just a, a little while. Because these men that I'm fixing to point out to you in Scripture... You don't hear of any great hero, hero stories about them. But they're part of the church. And they're part of the ministry of the church. And Paul is able to accomplish what he needs to in Scripture because there were people who were willing to stay. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to talk to you this morning. You are an asset and a value to the church. You may not ever hold a microphone. I don't, I don't read where my friend there, old Joe, ever got a mic and preached a sermon. But Paul said, I couldn't do what I needed to do without this guy because he was willing to, to be my fellow prisoner. He was willing to endure the hardship with me so that I could minister and accomplish the spreading of the gospel. This guy right here, we don't know much about him. But I can tell you, that what, I, what I do know is he was a fellow prisoner. He had been through the riots he had been there for the shipwrecks. He had been there for the perils. And now he's in prison with Paul. And Paul said, this guy was willing to come alongside of me and stay with me and help me. He mentions John Mark. So old Joe would stay in times of trouble. He wasn't going nowhere when things got rough. Thank God for people that will stay with you when it's, when it's rough. But this next one is unique. You see, Mark stayed after offense. Because there came a time in Acts chapter 15, in verses 37 through 39, it's talking about Paul and Barnabas. They, they worked together. They evangelized together. And there came a day when Barnabas wanted to bring a young man by the name of Mark along for the missionary journey. But Paul thought it not good to take him with him, who had departed from them in Pamphylia. What had happened is they had gone on a mission trip before with Mark, and Mark had, had for whatever reason, had withdrawn from the work. And so Paul was pretty much done with Mark at that point. 
So when the next journey came along and Barnabas wanted to bring him, Paul was like, no, I don't want him with us. He was a hindrance the last time. And I don't want him with us at the work there. And the scripture says that the contention was so sharp between Barnabas and Paul that they divided. That's the old King James English for they weren't happy with each other. They withstood each other with some pretty strong words. Because Barnabas said, I see potential in the young man. I want him with us. And Paul said, he's not good to us. He's not good for us. When things get tough, he's not going to be there. But thank God Barnabas was willing to say, you know what? I'm still going to give the guy another chance. Isn't that what the church is all about? I'm not here, I'm not here when you're down and you've messed up to walk up and boot you in the ribs and say, yeah, see there, I knew you wasn't going to make it. My God, the enemy does that to us enough. Our own, our own conscience and failings and, and hang-ups and flaws does that when, when you drop the ball in life. God forbid that, that, the, that the body would go and they would boot you when you're down. But Paul was done. He may have been a great apostle, but Paul was also flesh. And he was fed up and he was tired. And quite frankly, he didn't want to take somebody else to raise. He did not want to deal with somebody else that, he, you know... I'm going to have to raise you too and get you. I'm here to reach new people. I'm not here to, 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 to wet nurse you. I've got I've to I've reach these others. And you're, you're needing somebody to pour into you, Mark, and, and I'm trying to get a work off the ground, and, and you're just not profitable to me right now. But Barnabas said he's profitable. I'm going to take him. I'm going to work with him. I'm going to strengthen him. I'm going to pour into him. I'm going to build him up. I'm going to tell him that he is valuable in the kingdom. And the day comes when Paul's in prison and he says, oh, by the way, I need you to bring John Mark because he's profitable unto me for the gospel's sake. I need him. Now, John Mark was a pretty big person. I can stay with you through hardship. I can suffer with you through your trouble. But I don't know that I want to hang with you in your trouble when you've run me down and you've talked about how I'm not fit for the job. That I'm not worthy to be found in your company because I'm not, I don't, I don't stack up in your eyes I don't measure up. Do you really want to go help the man build the house, Brother Blake, that criticizes your every move and tells you you're not much of a carpenter? And then they come back and they say, that's why I haven't been, you know, he doesn't trust me with nails. I don't trust me with nails either. But imagine... I'm going to use you for an illustration because you're building a house. I love you, by the way. The guy who's on the job that couldn't get it right, that you said, you're not, I, I don't need you. You've caved the whole second story of my house in because you don't know what you're doing. True story, by the way. I'm going I'm to throw this out there. My dad was a construction worker for many years when him and my mom first got married. He tied steel for a living. And uh, there was a guy... This was, this was when the hippie era was still pretty strong. There was a guy that worked with him, and his nickname was Hippie. 
And, and Hippie was a unique guy because, uh, you know, Hippie believed in, 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 in imbibing and enjoying all the vices of the hippie movement. You know, the marijuana, the LSD, all, all that good stuff. And one day, Dad said Hippie came in and he was pestering them to weld. Let me weld. I know how to weld. You got to give me a chance to weld, boss, because I'm, I'm a good welder. He kept on and kept on and kept on and kept on and kept on until finally the boss said, okay, let's see what you can do. And my dad said he welded the most beautiful beads that you've ever seen in your life. They were perfect. So they put him welding all afternoon. They were building a hospital. And my dad said the next morning that a very angry project manager came through the, the, the work site, followed by the foreman who had let Hippie weld, and they were looking for Hippie. And my dad said that it revolved around this, that his welds were beautiful, but the project manager had walked up there and leaned on one of the, one of the supports on one of the stories that, that he had welded, and the, the beam literally just went and fell out because the bead looked good, but it wasn't holding nothing. My dad said you could go back in this guy's work that he had worked on all afternoon. You could just walk by, and it, was, it looked good. But nothing, no welds had took or bonded together. Imagine that guy. You look at him and you say, you're gone. You're done. I can't use you. Imagine coming back to that guy and being like, hey, man, I really am in a crunch here, and I need you. You're not my problem. Now, I said that to be funny. I don't want a guy welding on my house that don't know what he's doing, okay? I don't want a guy building. My point is, John Mark had been embarrassed. He had felt the sting of humiliation. He had felt the harsh words. He knew that he was the reason that Barnabas and Paul split. But when Paul said, I need somebody to stay with me, He said, you know what, my offense, the kingdom is greater than my offense. What would happen in the church if when pastor has to address something in my life or leadership speaks into my life that I don't get offended and say, well, I'm just withdrawing myself. I'm done. But I say, you know what, in the spite of me not understanding exactly what you're pointing out to me, I still love you, and I still love him, and I'm still going to stay with you. When you call me out, when you have to address something in my life, I'm still here. That man back there that's running the scriptures, who's looking at me, that's my pastor. He has free access into my life to pull me aside and say there's an area that you need to work on. There's something that's not quite right. And right now, I need you to work on this so that you can be profitable in the kingdom. Eric, your welds are not holding in your family. Your welds are not holding in your life. I need you to go work on some things. You speak to my life and my family, whatever you feel, and I line up by it.
And I'm not saying that because I'm holding a microphone. That's my pastor. That's my bishop. They have free access in my life. And if they tell me what I don't want to hear, and it wounds me, and it stings me, I'm still going to stay the course. Because he's trying to reach a world. And if it causes me a little bit of pain right now, I know he loves me, and I know he's only speaking for the best of me and my family, and he's trying to get us to heaven. And you know what? I submit my family to you. I'm going to say this, and I'm just going to jump out here, and you can, whatever. You want to see God's blessings poured out on your family, on your job, and in your community? You submit yourself to spiritual authority, and I promise you God will bless you for it. In the midst of offense, when it would have been real easy for John Mark to say, no. He said, I'm with you. Third character that's mentioned is a man by the name of Jesus Justice. He was a Jew. And really all we know about the man is that, is his name. He was some obscure person to us that we never see in Scripture other than his name. He was behind the scenes. He did the work that was never noticed. But Paul said, I can't do what I need to do without that man. Justice was a man that I need. It may seem like you do the most insignificant thing for the kingdom. But I promise you, it's valuable. Your name may not be called every service, but I promise you what you do does not go unnoticed. It has to be there for the work to get done. And I realize the time, Pastor, can I have just a few more minutes and I'll be done. The fourth man, Luke, stayed even through weariness. He was an educated physician. He could have made a lot of money, but he used his talents for the kingdom. He was the historian of, of the New Testament who wrote both the books of Luke and Acts. And he traveled with Paul through most of his journeys. Luke stayed in the midst of being weary in well-doing. There's a scripture for that. Those that labor and weary in well-doing, you're going to reap if you faint not. How do you not faint? You stay connected. You stay connected. Two more men, and I'm hurrying. The, the, the next to last, his name was Epaphras. He's mentioned in Scripture that he prayed fervently for the work. Doesn't say that he preached. Doesn't say that, that, that he did anything other than he was an earnest person of prayer that was willing to pray over the work and willing to, willing to go to war in the spirit to see that the work was done. Ladies and gentlemen, never underestimate the power of your prayer. We need people that can pray, who can pray in their homes, who will get up in the morning and pray over the work when nobody sees them, nobody knows what they're doing, nobody knows anything. All, all, all of us are just coming and we're reaping the benefits and feeling the presence 
presence of God. And we're enjoying the service while somebody's rolling out of bed and sacrificing their time to say, oh God, I need your spirit to flow in the service this, this week. I need you to anoint my pastor. I need you to, God, give him a word. I'm asking God that spiritual strongholds would come down. God, I'm asking that you would touch the families of our church, that you would bless the marriages in our church. That was Epaphras. He was fervently praying over the work. And the last man that's mentioned was Demas. Demas was the man who strayed. If you had four that that stayed, one that prayed, you had one that strayed. Demas was there for all the works. He was there to help get some of these churches off the ground. He was a a faithful follower of Christ. But the Bible ultimately pins this of Demas. Paul would say, but Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't want it to be said of me that I went partway with God, that I helped partway but that before it was all concluded, I got so caught up in life and in the world and living for God in, or in, in, in indulging in the world and making money and being involved in things that I lost my way. Somehow it, didn't get, it, it got to the point it wasn't important anymore for Demas. Church didn't look that important. Work of God became an inconvenience. Having me time, and I'm not, I'm not against you having time with your family, but you got to keep everything in balance. And what happened with Demas is he didn't keep the balance. It became all about him and not about God. And when it was all said and done, Paul said, he, he forsook me. He was gone. I was trying to build a work. I was trying to get to be used of God. We were entering into areas, but Demas wasn't there because he got so caught up. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the best life that you could ever live. You're going to have more fun. You're going to enjoy the blessings of God. Aside from going to heaven, this is a good life. But don't get so caught up in living life that you forget him. Because he's the whole reason we're here. Stand with me this morning. Lord, I love you. I thank you for all that you've done. I pray that you would be with us today, that you would go with us. Asking that you would guide us. Bless the remainder of this service. Everybody said amen. We're going to take a short break, and then we'll start our main service. Thank you this morning.